MC Podcast. Okay, so here's the recap. Session one, we're at the foundation, the foundation of all disciple-making movement. We have to begin with a basic definition that everyone can agree on in your church, starting with your leaders, making its way to the congregation, and not only having a clear, simple definition that's memorable and portable, but a clear, precise description of how you're defining or describing disciple-making. So for us, a a hope dealer is a disciple-maker, and a disciple-maker is one charged with the task of leading people into a hope-filled life in Christ. And as you look at the life of a hope dealer, a hope dealer, you should see in that hope dealer someone who's missional, someone who's biblical, someone who's spiritual, someone who's practical, and someone who's pastoral. And we as a church arrived at that because we took the journey as leaders Uh, in our church of defining a theology for disciple-making, arriving at a philosophy, and thus as we've identified a philosophy, we can then indulge a methodology that we can all agree on. And then we moved on to session two and said, hey, uh, don't forget that in disciple-making, there are really three domains that we ought to occupy. Uh, The first one really essentially has to do with um, intentional, we call it intentional relationships. And I had us open up our phones and, and see who on our phones were, were Christ followers and uh, weren't Christ followers. And maybe they're conver- they've been converted, but they haven't been discipled. And then charging us to maybe even look at our calendars and say, wow, are they in my calendar? And what would it look like to, to intentionally decide to walk with somebody? And as we intentionally walk with somebody in relationship, we commit to them because we prioritize what's important. And then secondarily, that not only must we have intentional relationships, but we must invite them into experiences where we can bind together um, in true brotherhood or sisterhood or family. And then lastly, as as we grow in relationship, then there should be the Barnabas effect. I just literally made that up. I'm going to write a book on it now. Um, Call it the, I call it the Barnabas effect, where, where um, if, if, you're, if you're intentional, if you're inviting people into your life, then you, the closer they, you get in relationship, you should see something in them that you ought to begin speaking to. And it may not necessarily be, wow, I feel like God's calling you to be a pastor. Right? And, and I know um, some, some in here, may, maybe, if, maybe if you've wrestled, maybe if you're a pastor here and you've wrestled and you're like, man, I haven't really been making disciples and really, like, I th- really don't even know where to start. And remember, I, I gave us a little, I call it the F3 tool. And uh, I had to snag it off of one of my, drop, my files here. I want to just show you right here. You probably can't see that. But um, the F3 tool is is a tool we can use to, to really jump into intentional relationships. And, um, and so what we can do is we say, hey, like where, where, in, where in my city, my town, my, um, 
you know, like where is it that I can build or begin to start frequenting? Remember I talked about Panera. Um, I talked about the corner store. Uh, there's a, a gym that I go to that I used to frequent and, uh, and I would go there, right? And, and all of a sudden as I started frequenting that place, right, God began to, to show me that Myron, like, listen, the more, fami- the more you are a, a familiar face here, the more you can build, like, true friendships. And as you build true friendships, it opens the door for, you know, you to begin to talk about matters of faith, right? And as we're faithful, then we end up becoming fruitful, and then we can begin starting intentional relationships that we can then begin to occupy those domains of discipleship, disciple-making, rather. The other tool we can use, you want to think about it a little little differently, is um, I do some coaching work with Stadia Church Planting in the underground in Kansas City, and one of the tools that they've developed that I, that I just, be, just to be frank with you, I, I stole it. Um, I'm still, I, I, now I just steal spiritual stuff, you know. Um, so, I'm so serious. It's like, oh, I'm still that. And uh, so I thought, you know what, as we're working the F3 tool, say you don't have relationships and, and we use the F3 tool to, to start engaging relationship, then we can use the receptivity tool um, to identify as you start becoming familiar where someone is at in terms of how you might engage in a conversation. So, you know, the red is maintain your relationship with people at this level of, you know, receptivity um, for opportunities to serve them and be a good friend, but don't force anything, right? Like that, cause, because everybody's somewhere on the spectrum of, of spirituality. And when you first frequent a place, there are a number of um, there are a number of factors that uh, how do I want to put it? Um, you're white, I'm black, right? I have more melanin in my skin, right? Um, you are wearing some kind of shoes. What are these? Skechers, old people's shoes. Um, I have on the Space Jam Jordans. Right? That's the difference. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I'm wearing an Africa chain, right? Um, there's a lot of differences. And as a missionary, um, we're called to help people make disciples. And in, in this process of making disciples as a missionary, I have to understand that, that the differences between us have to be slowly overcome. And the further I'm, the more differences we have, the further away I am. You put it like that. Which is why homogenous churches grow so fast, addition. But as a missionary and a disciple maker, Jesus says in Matthew 28, ethnos, go and make disciples of all the nations, ethnos, ethnic groups. So he, he doesn't, he, he, he invites us to step into those ethnic places regardless of the distinctives that each ethnic group has and the differences that we have. So this then becomes a tool to gauge where I'm at in a relationship with someone as I'm beginning to be intentional about building relationships. Does that make sense? 
And so this session right here, I just thought I just wanted to share that, I, you know, because I, I was thinking, you know what, I want to, I probably need to share that. Let me tell you a story. Look at this guy in the top left. I don't know who he, who he is, but the guy's handsome. Um, so, um, so that's me. And um, that's me at my boys' football game. And uh, they, 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 were at, they were at a tournament in Iowa. They didn't win the tournament, but they did win their championship, which is super amazing. To the right of me is uh, Brandon Kinney. Brandon Kinney is, and that's his son. Um, and Brandon Kinney is from Kansas City, inner city Kansas City. And, um, but, and, and Brandon moved to, Omaha, to Lincoln. He, got a, he ended up getting drafted. I'm sorry, he ended up going to UNL. He played Nebraska football, got drafted to the Chiefs, uh, ended up in Omaha. And, um, but they're at a football game, the Nebraska game today, and, but his son's an Ohio State fan. So I don't know how he's fathering that, that, that wayward child. Um, and then <laughs> the bottom left, this dude, his name is PJ. And uh, PJ uh, is now a coach um, of a local high school, and then he also uh, leads um, a group of guys that he's discipling. The reason why I bring these guys up is I discipled and am discipling Brandon. Brandon is currently discipling PJ, and PJ is discipling all these guys. And none of them know me. And I, and I could tell you stories after stories of that happening. And I really do think the gang trained me for it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sad that I had to be a gangbanger, but, like, it's, it's emmed in me, multiplication. It's emmed in all of us, but somehow we got indoctrinated by the doctrine of addition. It indoctrinated us. And we need to detox. And sometimes um, people who can't control their liquor end up in detox places where the only thing they have are four walls to think and dry out. We need to dry out again. From the doctrine of um, addition. And so I thought, you know, this wasn't originally in my slides, but what a wonderful picture, right? Um, and, and I can't imagine um, years from now how uh, lives will change because one dude said, I'm turning my 20-hour sermon prep, 10-hour sermon prep into one hour a week so that I could spend time with Brandon and Charles and Amar and Marcus Right. Um, when I planted a church in Colorado Springs, south, south side of Colorado Springs, come on, somebody. Um, somebody got excited back there. Uh, um, planted a church there, and uh, crazy story. I wish I had time to even tell you how I got there. It's a God story. All that to say is when I moved to Colorado, I was, I was on parole. I was like a church planter on parole. Ain't that crazy? Have you ever met a planter on parole? They make the best planters. And uh, anyway, so I get there, 
and I do my plant thing for, for uh, I don't know, from 2013 all the way to 2015. It's cool. Everything, cool things happen. And, and God ends up calling me back to Omaha where we, we did some, some level three stuff, you know, multi-site. And um, which, by the way, side note, don't let me forget the story I'm telling, okay? I'm going to task you with that responsibility, all right? Teach them to obey. You got to obey, okay? All right, thank you. Um, anyway, I, I'm coming back to that story. I don't remember what it is, but remind me. <laughs> so when I come back to Omaha, um, I sat down with a guy who was a campus pastor of a very large church in America. You wouldn't know if I said it. And I said, okay, I said, hey, man, uh, can you tell me what would happen if the Pope in your network of multi-sites, not the real Pope, but the, the Pope they have, um, like, can you tell me, like, what would happen if, like, he got hit by a car and died or something? What would happen to all those churches? You know what he told me? We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. So the reason why I bring that up is because that tells me that that organization is more connected to what one man can contribute than what we can do all together. And that's not an indictment on the work they've done, but it's certainly a lesson on is that happening in our lives at a micro level? Am I the one relying that everyone comes to? Or am I actually deciding to be a level five disciple maker? Now, do you remember my story? In Colorado, you were in 2000. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> my girl. Um, so I, <laughs> it's a long day. And so I'm there in Colorado and we plant and it's super dope. It's amazing. God did some cool things. He called me back and I handed the church church that we planted off there and I think it went for like I don't know maybe a year or so and um but when I got back to Omaha you know the church ended up just closing the guy I handed it off to a guy and this is why I kept keep talking earlier about being careful to be prophet lying y'all know what prophet lying is prophesying versus prophet lying okay prophesying is biblical prophet lying is satanic like when we when we see in something um, prophetically that we think um, is God, but it's really us because we're trying to control their destiny. That's called prophet lying. Meteorologists do it all the time. <laughs> Them the real prophet lies. And, and so you, I, I basically prophet lied this brother and put him in position, but that wasn't what was in his heart. Right? And so the church ended up closing. And that's what happens sometimes when we prophesy. People, doors start closing on people. And they start closing them and because we don't position them to, to, to really be who God called them to be. And that devastated me that the church closed, you know? Because, and, and I didn't talk about it because I was, I was like, I was like in shame. You know, because I'm like type A and, 
and we want to see success and we want to be able to say, I got a church over here and these disciples over here and just being completely honest. And, and I, and I just, I walked away from that experience thinking, man, I'm a failure. And maybe we feel like that today as we think about, as we looked in our phones, right? Or we looked on our calendars, maybe we feel like that, man, I'm a failure, man. I've been walking with Jesus this long and I don't see any fruit and I don't see any disciples who's making disciples. I don't know any, I I can't look four generations down at a group of people who don't even know me. Them dudes don't even know me, right? Like, wouldn't it be awesome to stand up here and say like, like those guys right there, they don't, they don't even know me. These 25,000 people don't even know me. And so, um, where was I at? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 uh, so, so the church, you are awesome. So the, so, so I felt like a failure, right? And, um, but you know how good God is. Oh, so good. There's a kid I discipled in my church when we planted it in Colorado. I discipled this kid. I just, I mean, I, I just walked with him. Intentional relationship, um, invitational um, experiences, um, and opportunities, right? Lived in those domains. Guess what? He now leads a church in the same city in Colorado Springs that he planted called the Jesus Church of Colorado Springs. And he is leading a flock. And that flock has never seen me. And so the encouragement for us today is, man, like 25,000 is within reach. It really is, but we have to do the hard work of taking the first step. And so um, what I want to show us is what I've developed over time. What I, what I, it's what I call the, uh, the 5-H, um, 5-H kind of method. And uh, my friend Bobby renamed it. He said, Myron, you should call it the hope method. I said, I like that. I'll steal that. So you're looking at the hope method. So what's the hope method? All right, listen. When, when, I, when I start a friendship or relationship with someone and, and they commit to being a disciple, they commit to being discipled, um, this hope method is the, like, it's, the, it's, the, it's central to our movement. It's central for us to disciple making. And so when they sign up to say, man, I'm, I'm signing up to, to commit my life to Christ, then um, what I'll do is I'll say, okay, um, we're going to prioritize spending time together, intentional relationship. And I'm going to sit down with you every single week. And when we sit down, the first question I have for you, did you know disciple making is all about being a facilitator? So I'll sit down with um, Charles, sit down with Charles, supposed to sit down with him uh, yesterday. And I'll say, hey, man, um, I'll ask him a hope question. And I'll say, hey, how'd you deal hope over the last seven days? Tell me a story. And, and, And the reason why that's powerful, 
when I say tell me a story, what I'm, ask, what I'm actually doing is holding him accountable to living out what it means to be a hope dealer. That's, that's a metric. If no one is telling stories in your church about hope, then that's a litmus test that disciple making needs to be reignited. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask Charles, hey, man, how'd you deal hope this last week? And, and, and it, it gives us an opportunity to be encouraged. We talk about um, Hebrews. Hebrews talks about um, encouraging one another daily, right? And that this question does that. It gives us an opportunity to be encouraged. And, and for us, the, the, the main um, disciple-making engine that drives relationships that we're in um, is like exclusively like the scripture, man. We get right into the scripture and we'll take a chapter. So like right now, uh, we just finished up uh, the book of Nehemiah together and, and uh, we'll read a chapter, right? We'll read a chapter right there. And, you know, they can't even come. Charles can't even meet with me if he didn't read the chapter before we showed up. I don't need you, you know, stunting, acting like you read and you didn't read it, you know? So I hold them accountable to reading the scripture. And, you know, and so after we read it together, I'll then say, okay, I'll ask this head question. And the head question is, hey, how would you summarize this in two words? Right? Why, why did I do that? Because I, I want him to understand the weight of this powerful word of God. And I want to give him room even to be wrong about what he summarized. Because my, like, my, my role in Charles' life isn't to, like, somehow be the final say in, in, in how he interprets, like, not the scripture. Like, no, it's like we're learning together. And that's the beauty of it. And as we're learning together, we're following Jesus. And so after you know, after we both share or a group of us share, then I'll ask a hard question. I'll say, I'll say, hey, um, what do you think God's saying to you? What do you think he's saying? I remember asking BK that, that guy I showed you earlier. I remember asking him that. And he looked at me like, okay, okay. best way I can explain how he looked at me. When you was growing up in my home and you did something wrong, my mama, first of all, when my sister do, do something wrong, she, my mama was like, my mama would call my sister a heifer. I was like, I, I always wondered what a heifer was. <laughs> I'm so serious. And then when I got to Bible school, um, my mama was actually calling my mom, a, my sister, uh, my mom was calling my sister a heifer. You know what a heifer is in the Bible. Nobody knows what that is? In the Bible. is a cow. So my mama was calling my sister a cow. I never knew that. Anyway, so, but when I got in trouble, you know, my mama looked look at me like, you lost your mind? That's how BK looked at me when I said, hey, what do you think God is saying to you? He looked at me like, you lost your mind. Like, I can actually hear from God. <laughs> yes, you can hear from God. You can hear from God. That, that we, may over, um, we may like overlook that because we're leaders. 
But people in our congregation, they come to church to hear from God. Let me say that again. Our people are coming to be fed and to hear from God. We tell them, come and listen. As my friend Grant said yesterday, when we should actually be telling them, come and follow. But we set up churches that say, come and listen. Starting a new series next week. Don't want to miss it. Bring two friends with you. Make sure you have masks. But when I say, hey, man, like, what's God saying to you? And it's so cool. You know what happens? You know what happens when we say, um, what is God saying to you? We're living out that, that Pauline admonition uh, when he says, hey, when you come together, the body, when the body comes together, one of, them has, one of you have a hymn. One of you have a word of encouragement, and one of you have a word of knowledge. You see that? And so as we're, as we're asking a question, like, what, like, what is God actually saying to you? We hear, we hear a collective word from God versus an individual word from God. And we have truncated the gospel to individual sermons instead of collective sharing. And we learn what God is saying together. And as we, as, we learn, as we learn how to hear the voice of God, then we can move to the next question, which I, what I call the hands question. And it's just simply this. Hey, like, like what are you going to do about it? And I got smart because when I would ask dudes like, yo, man, like, what you going to do about it? And then I show up next week and they didn't do nothing about it. I'm like, okay, we're missing something right here. So then I said, okay, dirty dog, I got something for you. What are you going to do about it in the next 36 hours? <laughs> See that? What are you going to do about it in the next 36 hours? And the thing that I love about it is I'm not telling them what to do. I'm not telling them what to do. Let's be honest. Somebody tell you something to do, that's how we know that we're sinful because the law was designed to tell you what to do and it's a mirror and the, men, the moment the mirror showed you what, told you what to do, you like, oh, I'm, you know. Paul, Romans 7, right? But if we hear the voice of God telling us what to do, then I all of a sudden take responsibility. And that's why church, that's why disciple-making multiplication hasn't accelerated in America is because we haven't helped people understand that their responsibility is to make disciples, not to come to church. Right? So, so, but, but we, we vacillate between that, if we're honest. We vacillate between um, that responsibility and then providing a, like a track, we call it, for people to run on when they come to church. And we call it 101, 201, 301, 401, right? And we call that disciple making. And we say, okay, yep, yeah, 101, um, not bashing it, y'all. Don't hear me. Don't, don't go away talking about that black preacher was bashing the church. I'm not bashing the church. I'm with us, right? I'm just making observations. And, and, and the one-on-one is, is come and learn about 
something, and then like, okay, now you can come volunteer, and then um, for this program, and then after you volunteer for this program, part of being a part of this church is you got to give money because we have to keep the lights on, and you know all these different types of things. But then now people are burnt out on practices that happen inside the church. So they don't have time to follow Jesus. But when we're sitting down and doing life and we're saying, hey, like, what are you going to do about it? That's something different than giving money. It's something different than volunteering. That's actually teaching them not only listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, but to actually Matthew 28 them, uh, obey. Teach them to obey. And that's what facilitating this type of conversation does. And then the last uh, question um, we go through is, hey, man, like, how can I, how can I, like, legitly, what is it that you really need me to be praying for you about, or how can I help you? And the beauty of this is we're, we're returning to that, that um, beautiful, mystical union between us and God. This first point about prayer, right? It's, 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 it's us. And, and the cool thing is this. Sometimes when I'm, I'm hanging out with my guys and we're having conversation around this, like, like, dude, for real, like, let's be honest. What, what, do you, what do you need God to do in your life? If we're in a group of about two or three, you'll, like, it's, it's, it actually becomes an opportunity for us to love one another. You know that? Remember that, that love one another thing? Now all of a sudden, we're taking on the responsibility together to love each other. So now, when, when, when somebody that who's, we're all being discipled, like even though I'm making, like we're all, we're all being discipled, like we, we get to, we actually start teaching people how to care. And all of a sudden, as I was training around this about a year ago, somebody came up to me and said, Myron, did you know, like, this is kind of lining up with Ephesians 5 or, or Ephesians 4? Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. The hope method is that. Hey, how'd you deal hope? How did you establish the kingdom of God this last week? Apostolic. Head. How would you summer? Teacher. Heart. What is the Holy Spirit? Prophetic. Hands. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to live it out? Because as I live it out, I glorify God. And when I glorify God, I become a billboard for people far from God. Evangelist. Help, pastoral. There's the fivefold right there in one disciple. So, what's your favorite scripture verse? Okay, open it up real quick. Everybody open up Psalms 121. For our last 10 minutes. Real quick, Psalms 121. Okay. Um, how many verses is it? Eight. Okay. Uh, get in groups of, uh, get in groups of three real quick. Everybody, uh, everybody read, everybody take turns reading the scripture real quick. Take turns reading 121 Psalms 121. Take turns. I want one person in your group to share how they dealt hope. So somebody in your group um, I want you to share over the last week, tell us one way you've dealt hope. 
So now we just read Psalms 121, and, and I want somebody else in your group to ask to answer the question. Um, how would you summarize Psalms 121 in two words? I know we're in a room full of preachers and aspiring preachers. You have two words. In fact, this one is so fast and easy. Everybody go around and share your two words. So here's the third question. What is God, what do you feel like God's saying to you? Um, I want someone to answer that in the group. What do you feel like God's saying to you right now in this text? Somebody answer that in your group. Okay, so here's, I give you 20 seconds. Somebody in your group, here's the question. It's the hands question. Hey, what do you feel like God is, wants you to do? What is he asking you to do within the next 10 minutes? Okay, 36 hours. One person sharing your group who hasn't shared. What is God saying, asking you to do in the next 36 hours? Now we commit. People always want to make spiritual growth like um, super spiritual and hard to measure. Maturity is measured in obedience. So when she comes back next week and we meet, we can, we can see whether or not she grew, she grew in maturity. Because to grow in maturity is to grow in obedience. Right? Last question. Hey, how can I pray for you? What do you need prayer for? How can I help? Someone in the group answer that question, and then I will close in prayer. Cool? All right, you have 30 seconds. All right, so listen, church. Listen, church leaders. Listen, check this out. This session was all about methodology, right? This ho the hope method is all about methodology. And, and, um, but if you need, like, a, just a practical method right now, if there's somebody in your life right now, we can train hundreds of people with the whole method. There's 100 people in here. What if in the next seven days we trained one other person in the whole method? That's 200 people. And what if we decided in the next month that each and every one of us would train five people? That's 500 people being trained. We'll get to, we'll, we'll to 25,000 faster than you know it. It doesn't have to be the hope method, but it has to be a method that's unique and consistent with what God's asked you to do. But honestly, in order to get to any method, we have to first start with a theological framework that leads to a philosophy that ends in a method like the, like the hope method. But we did the hard work to arrive at that destination. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much um, for this quick but fun group. Uh, Lord, as they entertain my shenanigans um, Lord, so thankful for this, this region of leaders and laity, children of God, sons and daughters, titles aside, God, uh, the kind of people who showed up today to say, hey, I really want get to get about the business of making disciples and I'm hungry for it. Pray, Lord, that there's at least one thing that we can all walk away from saying, you know what, I'm, I'm moving towards this in this direction for his glory. Father, thank you for the privilege um, an absolute opportunity that Eric opened up the door for me to be here, Lord. Bless this group. Bless all their work. And, Lord, the heart um, to see people's lives change and transform for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
SMC Podcast.